0: This is the Untamed Ethos Podcast. Join us as investment pros, executives, and other experts talk business, personal growth, investing, politics, and the trending topics well-rounded pros need to know about. Authentic, unfiltered, and fun. Joshua Wilson is the founder of United Ethos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of United Ethos' investment advice on this podcast, and nothing you'll hear on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. All opinions expressed by Joshua and by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of United Ethos or its affiliates.
1: Welcome to the Untamed Ethos Podcast. I'm Joshua Wilson. Here, our goal is to have authentic and entertaining conversations on a range of topics with experts and entrepreneurs who are making it happen. The goal here and what I ask all of my guests to do is represent yourself, don't represent your firm. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, Our guests are representing themselves. Um, And today I have um, a friend of mine and will be one of my most frequent guests, Dr. Vicks Russell Rhodes. Welcome, Dr. Vicks.
0: Josh thanks for having me. I feel honored to be on episode 1. You know, in a in a couple of years when when we do the 100th episode, uh we'll see we'll see how much of a well-oiled machine we become.
1: Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I think our attitude for this was just let's just start talking and we'll we'll figure it out. And we'll mm-hmm. gradually uh, suck less um, if we if we if we, if we start slow here. Like <laughs> and maybe that. we should edit that part out already. Um, but uh, Dr. Vix is a professor at uh, financial management at Kelly School of Business in Indiana, and he's uh, currently the uh, well, I'm not even sure if we've announced this, so maybe this is the announcement. Uh, I roughly. guess it counts. Uh, I guess it guess it counts. Um, uh, head of research and education at uh, newly formed United Ethos Wealth Partners. Uh, But again, Russell comes representing himself today. He focuses on macro markets, derivatives, market volatility. He's a frequent on uh, many popular podcasts and regular contributor to many news outlets, performs research on a variety of topics um, um, from organizations like NASDAQ and SIBO. And it's no understatement to say he's one of the most uh, respected names within, within, especially within the derivatives and market volatility niche. Uh, but really in in finance in general in my opinion uh, of course he is also incredibly humble despite being uh, the author of numerous books on charting technical analysis options the vix index but let's get back to humility here for a second Russell because uh, you're you're getting over a bit of uh, a bit of an injury
0: <laughs> yeah you uh and and it's it'll be it, it, It'll be interesting if if I have uh, one of these mental trail offs that continue to happen because I got a pretty nasty <laughs> concussion. Uh, I think we should leave it in just because it, it, it's kind of interesting to watch. Uh, I've watched uh, some of the lectures that I do here at Indiana, uh, and and what what we're talking about is uh, you know those two wheel scooters that you see people zipping around on. First of all, well, before
1: you tell me about the scooter, t- tell me why. Because I, I think you told me you were trying to save like fourteen bucks. Oh was, yeah, uh, well <laughs>
0: it wasn't necessarily that, it, but but um, it wasn't necessarily the fourteen dollars. But so I live, uh, I, I I live in Chicago, and I come back and forth to Indiana every week. And I've got a, a dumpy apartment that I would have been embarrassed to take a girl home in college to, uh, but I'm not taking any girls home, honey. I don't don't if you're watching, don't worry about that one. Um, so uh, I would rent one of those lime scooters that you see in some cities. And go back and forth. And that was working out all right. Uh, I did go across the hood of a car once on that thing and, and you know, uh, busted myself off and kept going. The week after I had that accident, my wife bought me one. So I, you know, I don't know how we read that at all. And then she she did kind of ask what kind of life insurance Indiana had. But then she bought me one and I was I was kind of doing the math because it costs 14 bucks every time I park here. I think the thing cost about six hundred dollars. How many rides would it have taken for for it to pay for itself? Uh, yeah. And that's you know I, I use that in one of my undergraduate classes, um, but I, I didn't I didn't account for tail risk. Oh, and, ta- and the tail risk was uh, just over three weeks ago from when we're talking right now. Uh, I was riding at home at night. They had just repo- repaved a road uh, that the road I always take, uh, but the uh, one of the manhole covers is about three inches too low. And I, I hit that thing full speed and I was out, out like a light. And um, actually a couple of people had to pick me up and drive me over to the sa- sidewalk, and call 911 and everything. Uh, I, I shared a picture with Josh of how bad it looked. Uh, it's kind of amazing that it's only three weeks ago, to be honest with you. Uh, but it it, ca- it caused some pretty bad damage to my eye, uh, screwed up one of my knees, got bruised ribs, and I got a really nasty concussion. And the concussion is making me kind of interesting. I have no patience whatsoever. I think I made <laughs> under, I made an undergrad cry yesterday, and uh, <laughs> and I and I forget my train of thought every once in a while. Uh, but it's kind of fun because now I have a doctor's note, and I can I can be mean to students, and and I, I have a medical excuse for at least a little while. <laughs>
1: uh, for, so. <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned tail risk. If that's yeah. uh, that's probably that maybe a new term for some folks. So in the parlance of, uh, of well, it's not just investment finance, but I think it's where you hear that term come up the most. Is tail risk is basic? It com- comes from the idea of the standard distribution, and the, the 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 tails of the distribution is basically saying this is the Extremely unlikely event, and even in that extremely unlikely event, there is still a chance of that extremely unlikely event happening. This comes up in, in derivatives trading, options trading, and a, in a variety of other of other contexts. And uh,
0: and Russell wasn't wasn't hedged. No, I was not hedged. I, I mean, I guess hedge would have been wearing a helmet. Uh, um, yeah, I've always and I'm I'm in my mid fifties now, and I've always been. I've always been like Gary Busey, uh, you know, he was in and and I don't think he's still wearing a helmet after he he cracked his head open, but uh, I probably switch into a bicycle for the back and forth. And I do think I, I will be uh, wearing a after a heart to heart with my wife and daughters. I think I'll be wearing a helmet when I ride that bike as well,
1: because uh, they need me at
0: least to get my girls through college.
1: I, I certainly hope so. We would definitely need <laughs> make it to episode 100. We're going to we're going to need you to keep wear, wear, wear a helmet. So. Uh, expertise in a variety of things, Doctor Vicks, but uh, but definitely not in scooter riding. That's that's nope. uh, been taken taken off of his off his mm-hmm. resume. Um, Russell, give me um, give our listeners a little bit of background of of, of how you got to where you are today. Obviously, oh. so you're at
0: Indiana, but um, mm-hmm. b- 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 where are I got you, my I got you? my three schools right here behind me: yeah. uh, Memphis, uh, Oklahoma State, which you and I have in common. And uh, and now I'm at Indiana University. Uh, I I, I kind of have I, I I had a career that, that kind of has three parts to it. And uh, somebody I used to work with said that most of us kind of will go through three phases of careers. And I tell tell undergraduate students that as well uh, out of school. I went to Memphis State and I'm old enough that that's what we called it back then. Uh, and moved up to Chicago. Uh, just decided I just did not want to be in Memphis anymore. Uh, moved up here. Got got you know the the stereotypical job as a runner on a floor. Worked up to working with a group in the Eurodollar option pit. Uh, just uh, enjoyed that. Learned from that. And then really kind of got bored by that because uh, the floor traders back in the back in those days, you really were just standing around waiting for orders to come in. So you might be hyperactive for thirty minutes a week around a couple of economic numbers, and then the rest of the time uh, you just kind of standing there and, and you know reacting to order flow. Uh, that's about it. That when I was on the floor, electronic trading started taking off as well, which I, I feel like I was a pretty that I was benefited by that again because I didn't really like being on the floor. Went back to school, got an MS in finance, so I could start working upstairs. Uh, traded for a trust department in Memphis while I was doing my master's degree. Uh, moved around, uh, it was actually on the sell side for a short period of time with Smith Barney. Uh, there's an old name for you. Got hired by one of the hedge funds I was covering from Smith Barney, uh, moved up to Chicago, was working for Bal Uh, then uh, worked with a group that was involved with Millennium. That's a couple of the bigger firms I've been involved with. Uh, around 2008, I was actually running my own CTA and I was putting up decent numbers. In fact, uh, in 2008, I was up about 60%. But that didn't matter. Nobody, you know, nobody was putting money with anybody. So um, I had done some editing for the Wiley people. And uh, I wrote, you mentioned books, I wrote Candlestick Charting for Dummies. So I understood the markets, I understood how to write on the markets. And I got a job with the education department at the Options Exchange. And my job, and, and I was terrified of speaking in front of people. Uh, which people just don't believe at this point, because they but they trained the crap out of me. They had um, some people from Northwestern's biz, media school, journalism school, come over and teach me camera presence. Um, I, I would never look right in the camera. We put little eyeballs on top of the camera to teach me to look at the camera when I'm talking, uh, but they really trained me to be a public speaker, which is something I never thought I would be good at. Um, I understand the markets. I understand how to explain the markets fairly well. And what and when I had joined Sibo, that's when VIX was really kind of coming into its own. And, and I kind of got lucky because none of the other people in the Options Institute, the Education Division, were paying attention to VIX. And I just kind of glommed onto it, wrote a book on it. Um, the ETP, this was I was writing the book before the ETPs even came out. Uh, but became very closely associated with VIX during my tenure at SIBO. And, and I still kind of am associated with it. And I still pay a lot of attention to the volatility indices. There's more than VIX out there now. I, I do work with the Eurostox people as well with V-Stocks. Um, I, I spent some time with the uh, with some folks at the Australia Exchange, where they do have uh, the AVIX. They got one over there. And you mentioned NASDAQ. I've been doing a lot of work with the NASDAQ folks on short-term trading and NDX options but also in the usefulness of their volatility index, uh, which I just refer to as Q, uh, which, which has a slightly different calculation than VIX uh, and focuses on the at-the-money uh, NDX options. So uh, it's actually a slightly better predictor of market volatility than VIX and uh, continue to do a lot of work on that one as well. And then anything that comes up that everybody's interested in the derivative markets, I spend time on that. Uh, written a couple of papers recently on uh, how the short dated options are behaving, and and probably uh, giving some insight into why people are trading them. And it's really because they're not efficiently priced. And when things aren't efficiently priced, there's opportunities there. That was probably a longer <laughs> longer background, but I'm I've been around for a while, so and I totally skipped the education part. I I you're in the same program that I I completed a while back. Uh, got my Ph.D. from Oklahoma State. And um, that makes that makes somebody with a clinical background very attractive to universities. And that's that's how I landed at Kelly.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, you mentioned the the NASDAQ there. So I'm just going to take segues into into some topics here. But you mentioned the NASDAQ and I know you. Um, look at the NASDAQ a lot as kind of an indicator of mm-hmm. of how confident should we be in the markets right now. What What, do you,
0: what is the NASDAQ telling us? Well, the, the NASDAQ, and, and I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit, and I'll also timestamp what we're doing here. Um, we're, we're talking on Thursday the 23rd. I know there's a couple of day delay before um, this will actually come out. But um, last week, the last couple of weeks, we've had what everybody's familiar with, the Silicon Valley bank issue. And... Um, you know, the 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 big fear when you have something like that happen with a relatively large bank is that it's going to ripple out into other parts of the economy. Um, <clears throat> what you saw the week at, you know, the Silicon Valley Bank thing really happened on a Friday. And then there was a week as we kind of digested the news. Well, all three of the big indices, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000, uh, gapped down on Monday morning at, based on that. But for the whole week after. I think after the first 15 minutes of the day, the NASDAQ was up and the NASDAQ continued to outperform the other two indices throughout the um, throughout the week. And you know, technology stocks are very economically sensitive and the NASDAQ underperformed tremendously in 2022. But if we're going to emerge out of what I personally think we're kind of in a recession already, even though they keep saying that we're not, but uh, there's too many areas that that feel like they've slowed down. I keep I keep getting ads for you know cars at below market value now, whereas used cars during COVID were were screaming off the charts. So you see a lot of different places uh, where the economy it looks like it's slowing, at least on the ground level. It just hasn't shown up uh, in the numbers quite yet. Uh, if the stock market believes that, then you would see continued underperform. Or if the stock market believes that's going to continue. I believe you'd see continued underperformance of the Nasdaq relative to the S and P five hundred, and we haven't seen that in twenty twenty three. And as long as those trends stay in place, um, I think we're all clear for being being long equities. Uh, I, I, I am not particularly concerned about, and I know we see a lot of things on Twitter. Uh, you know, the we're going to see a fifty percent you know cut in asset prices, and, and the worst is in front of us. I, I just the market's not telling me that, and nasdaq versus the s and p five hundred is one of the things that that is giving me an indication that i i think we're okay to be buying stocks now I think we're okay to be buying stocks yeah so. i' i put a little hedge word in there <laughs> um
1: yeah you you mentioned you use cars or, or cars in general you know, yeah
0: uh,
1: of course you know these these things are also affected by supply right um mm-hmm. i think this uh, this came up in I think the the Goldman uh, economic report last week maybe they mentioned uh, mentioned the used car market, expecting that to get difficult again because of uh, because of the supply of cars, right? I think that's more to do with the new car market being you know becoming thin again, and then that's going to drive up the price of used cars. So, you know. it's a it's an interesting thing to think about both of those things in context. Is it's not just as simple as well, hey, the um, uh, recession means that the prices are going to go down because people can't afford it. Well, if there's not a supp- enough supply on the market to um, to give to give the folks that are actually trying to buy, then prices can still go up even mm-hmm. during even if we are in a recession. So you we we end up getting a lot of mixed signals. Is that what you're
0: seeing? Yeah, I'm, I mean, it, it, I'm I'm seeing I am. I, and maybe I'm looking at, at um, a little bit higher end cars because those are the ones I'm interested in uh, than than the average automobile. But I do know um, I, I live my, my house in Chicago is in one of those suburbs where you've got a, a really every every city has a few of these really wide street with a bunch of car dealerships. And um, one of the first things and there's a Tesla dealership. Uh, I have never seen that. I've never seen so many Teslas on that lot. It, it's actually, it's a small lot too, because they, they, they haven't needed a normal, you know, usually you order one, it shows up. Uh, there are a lot of Teslas on that lot right now. And then we've got a, uh, there's another one that I kind of keep an eye on, uh, just cause it's right next to the Chipotle that I go to. Uh, that's kind of a, a combination of like a BMW, Porsche, Mercedes dealership. It's where they put all their used cars together. And that, that Parking lot is absolutely packed right now as well. In fact, they <laughs> they've parked a few of them on the street. So I think they're. I I I don't think. It, I think supply is kind of okay. I think there's no demand. Um, you know, if you're if 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 you're living like an average American and you're hopefully putting something away, but you're also you know spending most of what's in your paycheck. Um, you know, I I had a discussion with one of my students that was on the swim team yesterday. Uh, this kid's got to consume 4,000 calories a day and he's responsible for his own groceries and that's breaking him. He's actually having to, he had to ask his parents to, you know, uh, up the amount of money that they were sending him, uh, every month because, uh, his, as he put it, he said, usually I spend about a hundred bucks in, on groceries. He said it's about 150 a week now for him. And that, that's a pretty big hike. But if you're, you know, if you're, you know, someone that's that's living on kind of a budget and you're you're getting close to looking at maybe getting a new car man or a used car cars are not terribly affordable for the average american anymore as well they've really priced a lot of people out of um you know you know my first car was was maybe 20% of my dad's salary and you know the first cars that that i was looking that my kids were asking about uh would have been a much larger percentage of um you know the the salary that he was making so i i think that you know they've added so many bells and whistles to cars they're starting to price them out of the average you know out, away from what the average person can afford and then it, with interest rates a little bit higher if you're if you go into the dealership and you're like yeah, i want that car and then you start doing the paperwork uh, the, the car payment that maybe used to be 500 might be 570 or 580 now and 70 or 80 bucks doesn't sound like a whole lot, but, uh, for a lot of people, it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, I'm, as you know, I'm a, uh, teach at Baylor university mm-hmm. in the, in the entrepreneurship department and in a strategy class this semester. We were just talking recently, uh, about, uh, I think it was, we did a case on Ford and it came up that's, um you know the they a lot of the lower end cars and the average consumer cars just aren't profitable and so you've got to move so many more of them and so it it encourages a lot more competition for the higher end cars and the cars with more bells and whistles um, because that's where you can make the money and uh and so it and so the, the the price of um, the cost of something not going well in a lower
0: end car is much higher yep. because you, no, you got no wiggle room on there. I I actually think there, and this is a total segue here. I actually think there's a an opportunity uh, to, and, and I'm not going to cite the person's name who came up with this originally, but uh, there was a, a very bad person last century that came up with something called the people's car, which became the Volkswagen Beetle and it was you know no bells and whistles uh, just a car that was very affordable for the average person uh, i feel like there's actually a, an opportunity if somebody wanted to uh, create an old you know an old school car that that our parents could have fixed in the driveway uh, and start selling it to people as their first cars uh, that, i i would have been thrilled to buy something like that for my my two children as they turned 16 uh, and, and as, it's kind the, of a starter out car. It's safe, so you, but you, you know.
1: are the typical Gen Zer. Yeah. Russell. I know. You really have your, you really have your, you are known for the VIX and having your pulse on the, uh, on, on the feelings of the gen of Gen Z. <laughs> 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 so I, 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 I make, I make fun of you for that. But, uh, oh. but how, how does, how do we, is, is, can you get a Gen Zer in the, in the garage or is this just a project for dad? Uh, it would
0: probably end up being a project for dad, but I'm, uh, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> I, uh, there, there's a reason that I, that, that I've ha- that, um, I focus on the markets and numbers and programming and teaching. I, you don't want me trying to fix something. <laughs> so, I, I, I get that. You know, the, so, you know, the,
1: you, 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 talk a lot about the VIX, you've mentioned zero dated options. You've mentioned, um, these other indices, Um, why, why should people care about the VIX? We hear the VIX, the VIX, the VIX. And for those that aren't familiar, the VIX is, um, is a measure of volatility. And it's based on, um, it's not just something that's come up with. It's based on an equation that takes options in the market and how they're actually trading. You can think of the VIX as kind of a measure of what market insurance is is being sold for i like to give the analogy of uh, flood insurance to explain what the vix is so imagine you have a uh, insurance salesman comes to your door and he says hey i want to sell you some flood insurance and you say ah i don't need that he said well just in case i me leave you, you leaving my card it's only 50 bucks a month and then you forget about it throw the throw the card on you know in, in, in a drawer then the next day you look on the news and it started raining and then by the end that afternoon it says hey there's a a, a flood that's actually coming uh tomorrow so you uh you, you take a look at that card again and you go ahead and give him a call now that it says the flood's coming. And he says, oh, it's going to be $200 a month now. You say, oh, it's $50 yesterday. So you put it back in the drawer and then turn the news back on and look outside. Now the water is up to your up to your patio. And you call that guy back. Yeah, I will take that for $200 a month. He says, no, 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 it's $1,000 a month now. And that's really the, how the price of insurance works. It's gonna be based on demand, who's trying to buy it, and also the, the perceived amount of risk. And, and people will buy more insurance when they perceive that the risk is higher. So what the VIX does is basically say, hey, here's the insurance and options. That's really what they are, more or less, is insurance, publicly traded insurance contracts, on stocks and indexes and so it says here's what the price of stock market insurance is trading for puts that into an equation because you can you can buy insurance at different amounts of insurance right you can have insurance with different levels of deductible for example And that's what the VIX does, is put this fancy equation together that says in general, here is what the price of insurance is trading for. And the VIX in particular is looking to be an average of of, of 30 30 days out insurance, because insurance is not not perpetual, it has a time period on it, right? So that's what the VIX is, it's a um, measure of the price of insurance on the market. And so because of that, it has the reputation of being the fear index, um, or the volatility index, um so when we hear the vix it's that's what, that's what we 're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. I probably you probably could have, could have could have given that a lot easier than than me uh, Russell, but you know as a farm boy from Alabama, I like to put things in terms that i that I could have understood back then mm-hmm. uh, before before the before the before the training i've had um so w- why should people care about the vix now
0: um if one of the you know more and more. We're hearing about, and I'm going to take a total right turn on you, but I'll loop back hopefully. Um, but you know, more and more, we're hearing about behavioral finance, and we know people are not rational. Uh, VIX is one of the few things that, it's one of the few market indicators that is based on people's outlooks. It's based on uh, the, the demand for options on the S&P 500. Uh, If they're, and and this is a terrible phrase because there are always as many buyers as sellers, they come together at prices. If there's more buying pressure of S&P 500 index options, that will push the implied volatility component of those option prices higher. And VIX is a very elaborate average of S&P 500 index options that gives you a 30-day outlook. Um, and, And you called it the fear index. Uh, you know, we, we have like, uh, you know, uh, Benefer and frenemies and words that we put together. I'm still trying to come up with a way to combine surprise and fear for the times that Vic, because, because if, if you are anticipating that flood and you were smart enough to pay the 50 bucks, then you don't have to pay the 200 or 500 when the flood's coming. And, uh, and, and, you know, we've heard a lot of arguments about how VIX did not do what it should have done in 2022. Well, a lot of institutions were very well hedged going into 2022. The the market activity last year was not a big surprise. Uh we were you know you were seeing signs of inflation even as early as November and and December in 2021. Um you know and which is which is not good for Uh, Interest rates, interest rates go up. Higher interest rates typically put pressure on the stock market. And I think you had a lot of institutions that either uh, had some cash on the side to try and put to work whenever we had some market weakness. Uh, But there were a lot of hedged positions going into the year. So as the market sold off periodically, you didn't get quite the reactions that market watchers felt we should be getting out of VEX and then as the year went along the vix reactions were even more muted whenever we had some market sell offs and i think that was a combination of people being hedged but then also a lot of the hedges did not work the way that they should have in the first half of 2022 and if you had if you had bought that flood insurance for 50 bucks and it did in your house did, you know, get some damage and then you couldn't find the guy, you found the guy's card. And when you called, he ghosted you. Um, you, your insurance did not pay off. Uh, you're not going to buy more insurance. And I think, uh, that was one of the reasons that VIX was less reactive in the second half of 2022 than the first half of 2022. Uh, it, it just, the, the weakness in the stock market was not leading to, uh, more put buying or S and P 500 put buying. Uh, so, you know, VIX, is a good indicator of what people are worried about. Um, typically VIX will stop going up before, and this is why people should pay attention to VIX. Typically VIX will stop going up when the stock market is going down. And it's almost like a leading indicator. Uh, when I was at SIBO and a big part of my job at SIBO was telling people that why they should trade VIX derivatives. But at minimum, if you are, you know, if you're, even swing trading over a couple of days, the S and P five hundred. You really should have VIX right next next to SPX on your screen, and there are I can there are more instances than I could name where VIX has stopped going down or VIX has stopped going up before the S and P five hundred has reached a bottom. And trying to buy low can be very difficult. Uh, VIX can sometimes give you an indication that it's a little bit, you know, that it's okay to be buying when we're in a downtrend because we might be getting close to the end of the downtrend. And that can be on a five-minute chart, and that can be on a daily chart. It works on a whole lot of different timeframes. Uh, so anybody that short-term trades probably should be t- paying attention to VIX. And if you're short trade, short-term trading the NASDAQ 100, you should be paying attention to VolQ. You should have those two right next to each other on your screen as well.
1: You know, one of the things we, we use the word that word hedging, and this this is one of my pet peeves because I hear the word hedging overused in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, first off, hedging just basically means protection. And I'm using that in a very very broad sense of the word protection, but it basically means protection. Um, but really, I like to emphasize that it's not are you it's not just a simple binary is you're hedged or not it is also a degree of the hedge and the efficiency of the hedge and under what conditions does the hedge work you know you hear things like well gold is a hedge against inflation well was it uh, (laughs) you know not at it, it times it has been, it hasn't, at other times it hasn't. So right. what does, what does that mean? Is it, or is it not? The answer is yes and <laughs> no. So under what conditions and how effective of a hedge is it? There's a difference in saying, you know, um, and when we say hedge, like I, I use the example of, you know, we'll go back to car, we're going to go to car insurance. Right. So if you've got a deductible, of a thousand dollars then it's saying that you're you're basically saying i 'm hedged, so right? hedged at a thousand dollars, so after a thousand dollar loss then i 'm protected right that i 'm protected i 'm hedged at after that level for any losses more than a thousand i 'm hedged against that and that 's a very easy thing to understand but 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 in the markets hedges aren 't that simple um or the things we call hedges. An option is, is, mu- is much more official because you have a what we call a strike price, which is basically the level at which you begin to be protected um, or at risk, depending on which side of the of the trade that you're, you're really on. Um, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this a little bit, but the what a hedge is when we say, well, well, gold is a hedge. Well, how effective is it dollar for dollar? Is it 5 cents on the dollar? Is it 50 cents on the dollar? And is that hedge working effectively right now why why is the vix a a better hedge or maybe I should say when is it
0: when, when is, is it and, of, and you oh, know what i'm got, i'm i'm going to rephrase your question to a question okay. that, I, that I used to get frequently at yeah, CBA, yeah. which was why should I use vix to hedge ha- why should I use derivatives on vix to hedge instead of n s p five hundred yeah uh, index options. And um, there, there are a couple of reasons that you should use one and there are a couple of reasons that you should use the other. It's more of the, the ability to get exposure to VIX gives you another tool in the toolbox to possibly hedge yourself. And if you think, if, if, if your outlook is from, from right now, from late March through the end of June, we're going to grind lower by you know the S&P 500 is going to be down 15% from here over the next 3 months but it's going to go but uh, it's just going to be this slow grind lower um vix is not going to help you out because the 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 way that vix would the the way that vix would work or the reason that you would want to have long exposure to VIX, because VIX goes up when we get those big sell offs, is if you thought she uh, you know, and Putin just planned World War III and it's going to kick off in two or three weeks. Uh, a major, And that, that's why I like to include the surprise and fear part to VIX. If um, you know, we come in, if, if things really escalate over in Europe and we come in on a Monday morning and the S&P 500 is down 10%, uh, VIX may have doubled. And so the bang for your buck that you get for, and I'm going to use that phrase that I used when I was talking about riding a scooter, for a tail event, uh, the bang for the buck that you can get with VIX for a tail event uh, is much greater than what you can get relative to uh, put options on the S&P 500. Uh, also, uh, it's, asymmetric.
1: This, it's asymmetric in it's a very
0: asymmetric. way. Yeah, and and another thing with respect to to you know if if you were to buy put options, let's say you bought put options on the S and P 500 today, and um, the S and P 500 and VIX is around 2021 right now. If the S and P 500 you bought the put options today, if it goes up about five percent, but it grinds higher over the next couple of weeks, um, VIX, you know that VIX may not change much at all. But now, all of a sudden, those puts that you purchased, you got to have another an extra five or ten percent drop for those things to pay off. Uh, VIX has been shown to hold its value a bit better than S and P five hundred index options in cases where the S and P five hundred is grinding higher, higher, uh, and and we and, and include and we also see that they tend to hold their value up until just the last few days before expiration, which is not true for uh, you know regular index options as well, and that's just because there is always this possibility that uh you know VIx can go up twenty or thirty percent a single day, so mm-hmm. out of the money call options may still have some value uh on VIx, whereas in the same time out of the money put options might not they they just don't hold their value as well you know I mean going back into that kind of is am I hedged? and how
1: am i hedged you know that kind of comes into my pet peeve when are talking about a, a portfolio you know and, and diversification is well we're, we're we're buying different assets different investments that we that we hope that we believe will behave somewhat differently and this can be confusing to a lot of investors because investors can sometimes think, think the attitude is well we buy all these things because we believe they're all going to go up immediately Whereas the financial advisor is buying things that are diversifying them to try to actually smooth out the ride. Um, One of the ways that I like to think about this is diversification is kind of the ability to drive in multiple lanes at the same time and get the average of uh, the average arrival time. Because I don't know about you, but I get aggressive in traffic sometimes depending on my mood and I, I will change a lane, change a lane, change a lane and you know, the lane that was moving the fastest, uh, get a mile down the road and suddenly that car that was behind me is zooming ahead of me and now I'm wanting to change lanes again. And that's kind of how it is with investing is, I'm, I'm not picking one thing. I'm, I'm, it's kind of the ability to drive in multiple lanes and then get the average of those. So it's it's by definition saying, I know I'm not going to have the potentially the highest return I could have, but in return for that, I know I'm not gonna be last. I know I can't. Won't be last. I know I won't be first. But I'm smoothing out this entire ride, and so you know, in in, in our world, you tend to hear about that sixty forty portfolio, meaning sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds. A lot of research on this. A lot of people believe in, and that's your typical moderate portfolio: sixty percent stock, forty percent bonds. Boy, that didn't work in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> So, what are your what are your thoughts on the sixty forty right now? But uh, first off, why? Before we get into the future, why didn't sixty forty work in two thousand twenty
0: two? Well, you know, in in uh, I'm teaching this right now in in my undergrad classes. This this week is bonds; it's bond week, and week, (laughs) yeah, and and you know, uh, I don't like asking trick questions. But, you know, but one of the points that I try to get across is the inverse relationship between interest rates and bonds and bond prices. And if, you know, and I'll even ask the class as I'm starting to talk about bonds, if you think interest rates are going up, would you buy bonds or do you, or do you sell short bonds? And you actually sell short bonds. So my point is interest rates were extremely low going into 2022. And and it was very obvious. You could, there are ways that you can look into the derivative markets and see what the outlook is for interest rates. And there was it was pretty obvious that interest rates were going to go higher. So you know we talked about VIX not doing what it was supposed to do. Uh, Sixty forty really did not work uh, in twenty twenty two. But if you think about and the forty percent would be bonds. Um, When you think about where the bond market was as a standalone entity, uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of upside for bond prices uh, when interest rates are, you know, for AAA bonds, you know, like 2% or so. Uh, You know, there's just not a whole lot of, um, you know, you needed the rate to keep going down to make the bond prices go up and get the diversification benefits. Normally, 60-40 works because uh, we go into a recession and that hurts stocks. But the, the Fed will cut rates to try to spur some economic activity, which is good for bonds. Uh, you know, We had a, an instance where stocks are going down and the Fed just does not have the ability to cut rates uh, just because of how low we were already. So 60-40, did, but in, in the, my, my roundabout point here is 60-40 did not work in 2022, but that does not mean that in the future that diversification benefit is not going to come back.
1: Yeah. And the, the sad thing is we typically position bonds as being the safety net, right? Is um, I've had, you, you'll hear inaccurately people at times say that, you know, stocks and bonds aren't correlated. Well, <laughs> again, um, as with most things in finance, um, sometimes that's true. And then other, oftentimes it's not. And it's still all, all it's also still is. to what degree is this true and to what degree is it false? Also, there's a difference in saying not correlated with inversely correlated or also known as negatively correlated. And so when you're saying that bonds are a hedge for stocks, because I hear that term thrown out is, well, I've got bonds to hedge against because of my hedge, my
0: stocks. Ooh. I I don't. I, I wouldn't use the word hedge. Absolutely. I would. Not. Yeah. I, I, I would wouldn't, say wouldn't, that would bonds give you the ability to diversify, um, diversification, their, I mean, if not you get diversification benefits, but you, it, I, yes. um, you know, in, in my mind, a true hedge is something that, you know, is some sort of derivative that is based on the market that you're trying to hedge. Yeah. If you're, you know, if, if, if you buy gold, because you're worried about inflation, you are diversifying yourself with a uh, an eye toward toward inflation yeah. and, and
1: and this 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 degree of diversification is really the key because you know, I, I used to give a a, a talk on divers hedging is not diversification right um and her, her diversification is not hedging because i feel like that's something that comes up a lot in advisory discussions is we're hedged we're hedged we're hedged well, diversification is sort of hedging ish to the degree that diver- the, the idea of diversification is based on correlations between asset classes and those correlations. It's a correlation is saying to what degree are these two assets moving together and you can run um, correlations on different asset classes and that's but here's the, the kicker. Is that correlations are not constant between asset classes, and so the the illustration I like to give here is, you know, Russell and I are um, our correlation with each other goes up and down, right? If we're in the same room together, then we're technically highly correlated. If if a missile hits this house and we're both in it, we're both done. Right. So our outcomes are highly correlated right now. But then he leaves and goes back to, you know, goes back home. And I'm still here in Texas now. Our, now we're not correlated at all. Right. And so those correlations between those two people or two assets, they can change. And so a saying things are perfectly correlated means that they're moving in the exact same direction to the exact same speed, at the exact same time. It's like two synchronized swimmers. Right. And the goal of synchronized swimming is be is perfect correlation. That is the goal, right? Whereas negative correlation is doing the opposite thing. So that the understanding that one can be perfectly correlated or perfectly negatively correlated or anything in between. And to say, well, my portfolio is diversified. Well, if, if stocks and bonds are currently correlated at 0.4 well, that means that they're, they're about 40%-ish, I'm being very, very rough numbers, you know, t- together versus 80%. Well, that's, that's very different. That's very different than negative cor- 50 correlation on a scale of negative 100 to 100. Very different to say that. And so when you're saying, you know, here's what you're getting from a 60-40, you're saying to what degree are stocks and bonds moving together? And in in an environment where the interest rates are going up, well, first off, let's pause. Why do do, do bonds, did you say, well, we knew bonds, you basically said we knew bonds were going down. Well, why? Well, Or at least that the market expected to. Well, why did the market expect market bonds to go down? Because the Fed was raising interest rates. Well, why does that affect the price of bonds? Well, that affects the price of bonds, because there's bonds already on the market. So there's bonds on the market right now. And then there's also new bonds being issued all the time. So if I've got a bond that I've bought, uh, let's say I paid a thousand dollars for a bond and it's paying me 2%. If the new bonds that are being issued are now at 3%, then if I'm keeping my 2% bond, I don't care. I'm just getting my interest rate payment, right? But if I'm going to sell it, if I'm going to sell it, well, if I'm going to sell it to Russell, Russell has the opportunity of buying a brand new bond for thousand dollars at a three percent rate versus buying my bond for two percent from me. Why would he buy my bond for two percent unless I discounted it below the thousand dollars that I paid for it to? Get, to I got it? Or he got an equivalent of three percent. So as interest rates go up, the new the price of new bonds goes up, um, well will be the, the, new, the new standard and the price of old bonds goes down. So if you're, if you're holding it, maybe you don't care that the new stuff is coming out, but this really feeds back into the banking fiasco, the same, yeah. same portfolio uh, because SVB, for example, had bought a tremendous amount of bonds that were paying very little.
0: And be, well, and beyond that, they were long dated bonds too. Yes. I mean, dated. they were, which um, if you're, if you're, if you own bond and, 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 you know, this is, this is kind of a shift to um, how, how banks should be, what they should be doing with the money that we put in our checking accounts, I guess is the way that I should do. And um, they, they need to be able to that when we deposit money with a bank, put money in a checking account. Um, that becomes a liability of the bank. They owe it to us and and we should get that money on demand. Uh, what they did was they tied their money up in instruments that they said they were going to hold for the next 20 or 30 years through maturity. And that would have worked if, if you know, if they hadn't had a giant outflow of cash, they, 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 you know, they may, we may not be talking about them quite right now. Uh, but because, um, you know, a certain percentage walked out the door and actually it was it only took 4% of their um, of their deposits to walk out the door. They had to start um, indicating what those bonds were really worth now, as opposed to just saying what they were going to be worth that they held them to maturity. And when they revalued those bonds, you could start to see a disconnect between their assets and their liabilities, the liabilities being what their depositors had with them. And because they had to eventually liquidate all of those bonds, there was a huge disconnect. And Silicon Valley Bank is now a meme, uh, something we'll teach in school, and an expensive T-shirt on eBay. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's <laughs> <laughs> I used to I, I used to collect all that kind of stuff. I used to have like Lehman Brothers crap, Bear Stearns stuff, all. all You're walking
1: around the crap. golf course with a Bear yeah, Stearns, uh, yeah, with my, uh, know, my Lehman, Lehman Brother
0: tote, my Bear Stearns, yeah. um, and my AIG hat.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. no, it, it's funny these these names that become that, that just they, they fall What's out of, yeah. into, into oblivion so quickly i haven't i don't think i've heard the name aig in several they're
0: still, years they're still around um but yeah
1: you know, yeah, they, yeah absolutely but you, you definitely i you definitely don't hear the name like right. i like i like i did before and so of course yeah the others and,
0: uh, yeah you know something i and, and i'm not sure you can go to the FDIC website and and the bank failures happen more often than we really realize. Uh, and, and, you know, 10 years ago, uh, every Friday, you would hear like maybe a, a one or two community banks folding up. Uh, we hadn't had one in about three years until Silicon Valley Bank, at least on, on the list of bank failures that FDIC puts out there. Uh, and their list of bank failures would not include a bank that's in distress that gets bought by another one. Um, but it, it had been about three years since something like this had happened. I don't know if um, you know there's been a lot of propping up because, by the government to make sure we didn't have bank failures as we were going through COVID, etc. Uh, but it's a bit surprising with interest rates having gone up for over a year now that you know it's it's just starting to catch up with some of the banks. I know there are other banks that that have a similar disconnect. I assume they're adjusting their balance sheet a bit so that disconnect doesn't exist. I think J.P. Morgan and I, I don't have the graphic, but they put out a list of banks that had similar situations, but not as bad as Silicon Valley Bank. Um, but it 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 I, I the gap in bank failures was really interesting to me, and I, I'm still trying to get my ha- head around that one because they usually are kind of consistent.
1: You know, the this topic of bonds is keeps going. And the obviously this, you know, this affected SVB. Other banks have other bonds on their sheet. Um, If interest rates, the Fed just announced another quarter point raise. And who knows if that's the end of it? You know, then the Fed continues to raise rates because inflation is still still a problem. but the, the, the issue here is that as as the Fed continues to raise rates, more things can potentially break, especially if, if, if money gets pulled out from a bank and things like that all at once. So, you know, uh, I did a video last week where I basically said my biggest
0: fear is fear. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's I mean, it, fear is fear is what put Silicon Valley Bank under. Right Absolutely.
1: Down. It wasn't that something that, you know, actually happened so much as the fear of something happening mm-hmm. caused people to make something happen. <laughs> the fear of something happening caused something people to make actions that caused something that we should have been afraid of to actually happen, but it only happened because people were afraid something would happen. That calls something to happen. If that's not confusing enough, it. it's a big circular.
0: Uh, we're just uh, we're, our, we're our own worst enemy. The the whole area of behavioral finance is based on us being our own worst enemy, and you know what you should do to not. But but it's it, it's human nature. If 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 we were sitting here right now, and uh, I threw out uh, that I like XYZ stock, the first thing somebody's going to do is pull up a quote, and they have immediately. Anchored themselves to a price. You know that if, if, if you know if you listen to me, if you think I have a better opinion than the average person, um, you know you might say if I said you know I, I'm hearing good things about X Y Z and you pull up the quote and it's nineteen dollars. Well, if you think about it, and then two days later it's twenty one dollars. You're like, oh well, you know he liked it at nineteen. Now it's gotten away from me. Um, or if it's sixteen, a couple. Well, that guy was wrong. You know, but you're 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 anchoring yourself to a stock price, and everybody does it uh Warren Buffett claims he doesn't do it, but <laughs> everybody does it and um it it automatically gets in there and messes up your thinking just a little bit
1: yeah you know and there's a lot of there's research on this um that, oh, yeah. uh, that the, the 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 one thing that i've that I've seen at least that i've seen in the research that can be effective in, in behavioral finance is awareness of the uh, if you're informed of the systematic ways that you're making errors and you can if you're able to keep that in mind you can adjust to a certain degree and i would imagine that someone with buffett's expertise if he keeps this this human awareness of as a human i am prone to making this error but i think most people and or arrogant is I'm rational. I'm a rational person. I'm, I'm not sma- I'm
0: smarter than average.
1: I'm smarter than average. And when in reality, most of what we say is not, or, or we as humans in general is, mm-hmm. is not rational. It is a rationalization of what we're already feeling. I've already decided this, and now I'm going to go look for information that supports the opinion that I already have. Um, and it's, so we literally construct our own echo chambers. Um, and yeah, you know, this is, um, this is, uh, what is it, what is it? Um, uh, not just availability bias, but confirmation bias. Yeah. We, com-
0: and, and, <clears throat> and then we also, we ignore what, contrasts with what we believe.
1: Yeah. If I already own that no. stock, if I, if, no. if I just shorted that stock and, and, and Russell comes out and says he likes it at 20 bucks and I've just shorted it, Russell's an idiot. I am. Yeah. <laughs> well. let, let's go find, let, let me go f- and let me find well, some. And, you know, that-
0: some of the places that it, that it has shown up like over the long term is you'll have a company that's <clears throat> had a really, uh, and the one that always sticks with me is general electric. They had a really nice long track record um they would they would beat their earnings by like a penny or two cents uh, every quarter, and the first time they didn't beat they actually reported what everybody thought they would uh the stock traded off some, but it 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 really was an indication that there were some major troubles there. It took a few more quarters before people started to realize that. Uh, GE had some major problems. But you had such a loyal, you know, it, they had such a great reputation. You had a loyal shareholder base that, that you know, he probably had been living off the dividends for 20 years. Uh, the first couple of, of cracks in the armor for them, uh, the stock didn't react as it should have. Let's let's try to, let's try to pivot to some sort of good news,
1: and, and also we'll go back to stocks a little bit. Dot markets know. up,
0: and I, I I as we were fumbling around, you mentioned um, you know what the Fed might do. Um, as of and, and this could change, but uh, mid morning on March 23rd, the derivative markets are pricing in the Fed is done. They're saying, and actually is pricing in a cut by the end of the summer. I was I was really surprised to see that I thought it, I thought we would still have one more quarter point hike, but um and man we're seeing stocks really strong this morning I think that's one hundred percent in reaction to that. Yeah, so you know, and, and let's so we think about this as you know systemic these
1: this, these bank issues we mm-hmm. and the bank issues tied to the bond issues and then tied to interest rates. This is we just keep finding you know going deeper here. Is this, is this systemic?
0: Um, I think it's company specific, you know, and, and that's what we refer to as the unsystematic risk, uh, in the academic circles, uh, it, it, you know, Silicon Valley bank, they didn't even have a, um, a risk manager from April last year to January of this year. Um, I haven't gone back and seen exactly what interest rates did, but they, they did have a diversity officer, but they didn't have a risk manager, uh, which, which maybe we need, we have some priorities there. Yeah. uh, you 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 well, can't have, do you can't very, do good for anybody if you're losing money.
1: We well, we uh, also make sure we have a very diverse group of people losing their jobs.
0: Yeah, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> it, it no, it, it truly is, but um you know, I, I one of the one of the areas I teach in is our healthcare MBA here. And you know the business of healthcare is a little bit, you know, there, there's just a different nature to it. And you know, I'm this former scumbag hedge fund manager teaching these doctors about running a business. And I acknowledge over and over again the nature of their business, but then I also try to reinforce: if you're not making a profit, you can't do good for anybody. You know, if 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 you became a doctor not because it's a great salary, great lifestyle, but because you really wanted to help people, if your practice is losing money, you're not going to be able to help anybody. So and it's the same thing uh, with respect to, you know, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, they, you know, they, the diversity, uh, the ESG, all of that is very important. We don't want to trash the planet. We all want to treat each other with a lot of respect. But you also need, uh, you know, I think a priority should be making some profits so that you can do the good that you want to do. Yeah. And did I, did I just um, quote SBF from FTX? Probably. Oh, God. Yeah, you want to legitimately make money to do good. There, absolutely. <laughs>
1: so, um, what are you watching right now? Besides, besides
0: the- uh, checking the Fed Watch, uh, looking at you know, yesterday, uh, the Nasdaq. Uh, after after we got the you know the Fed announcement and stocks did react a little negatively, we did see some uh, underperformance of the Nasdaq relative to the S and P five hundred, but it's getting it back this morning. Uh, I also am always, because I'm comparing those two an awful lot, I'm always looking at the volatility index on the NASDAQ versus the S&P or VIX, the S&P Volatility Index. Uh, There are periods of time where NASDAQ volatility is lower than S&P 500 volatility. It's usually during uh, strong market trends. Uh, that would be a great confirmation in my mind that um, equities are out of the woods as far as this cycle goes. Well, let's let's pivot here to, to have a little fun. Who you got in the uh, who got in the Sweet Sixteen? You got a favorite? Uh, you know, um, I know you're. An, I know I, I've got a. May, maybe I'm just a hater because uh, uh, Memphis. Uh, they were calling time out, man. <laughs> I think the biggest controversy of the tournament was uh, was the Memphis game. Uh, Indiana's already flamed out a uh, couple of our big 12 school or a couple of, uh, I guess it's Kansas state at this point because uh, they're, they're staying loyal and they're sticking in the big 12. I guess that's the one that I've got to go with. Uh, I've been very disappointed uh, and I know this is your home state, uh, but I I'd really just like to see Alabama get knocked off. No, I,
1: well, I'm an Auburn guy. I, it, okay. Well, I know I, I see it
0: in the background there, but I'd yeah, like, I, 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 you know, yeah. I, they they had a player that misbehaved and he's learning a terrible life lesson uh by getting away from it because he can play basketball. And and that's uh you know, it it that makes me, you know, like sport. Every every time something like that happens, I'm become less and less of a sports guy. But being an Oklahoma State grad, uh I, you know, I'm I'm pulling for the Big 12 teams, I'm pulling for Houston as well, even even though they're a big rival of Memphis. Uh, so I it, once your teams are out, I go conference and I teach at a big yeah, ten school. I say, and I went to a big Oklahoma twelve school State's still in the NIT. Right? Is, is Oklahoma State still alive? They they lost last night they to North, last night, North Texas, tonight, yeah. or two nights ago to North Texas. Well,
1: I'm I'm pulling for Princeton because I am an oh. underdog lover. Right? Oh I love yeah, the, I love yeah. The underdogs, and so I gotta gotta go with my league. Um, you know, Brown's terrible, uh, or I think they're average. We'll, we'll call it average in the Ivy League this year. They did beat Princeton, I think, earlier in the season. So we could, however, however far Princeton goes, Brown beat him at one point. And I want to see, I want to see the underdog uh, keep. I that understand
0: going. that. And th- this is the year for the underdog. It really, uh, if the, nobody's ever going to pick a perfect bracket, but is is, you know, I think the transfer portal. Is making college football less competitive, where you're just going to continue to have the top three or four teams. I think the transfer portal might be making college basketball more competitive.
1: I think it's so. I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue this a bit because this is a, the transfer portal is a passion of mine, and as you know, I have two nephews currently playing in the Big Twelve: Preston and Oklahoma State, and Sheridan at uh, at Texas Tech, uh, both offensive linemen. Um, I think that it is definitely the, 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 the top, top tier. Yes. You know, the, cause if you're Alabama, Georgia, you're only going to get another five star, four star that comes in. However, I think it's, it, it, it took a couple of years to shake out with high school, but what you're finding is there's a lot of kids that maybe got scholarships that shouldn't have or got scholarships that, you know, it. Recruit. We, we think of recruiting as being of being a accurate predictor, but it's really not because there's kids that get scholarships, probably shouldn't have, but they went to a really strong program, or they had a, a coach that very av- that advocated for them, or they were a great athlete that was expected to get better. Um, They're in a great program. You also have kids that uh, that are in weak programs, and their their school went two and uh, you know two and nine you know, are out, out, out in, you know, far west Texas. And, you know, so they never get seen and they don't have the money to go to camps. And, you know, they, they don't get noticed. And so they walk on or they go to a tiny school and then they kill it. Um, I went, I went to a, um, a, uh, what is it? Texas A&M commerce game this year and saw a receiver. And I immediately said, this kid's D1.
0: Yeah, no and way see,
1: not be. sure enough, he transferred after the year. Transferred to Arkansas.
0: Well, see, uh, and that's that's why I, I I feel like in football the the stronger teams are going to get stronger and the weaker. I well, I would I not.
1: I, it's mobility that I yeah. that I, that, I, that, I, that, I, that I think is interesting. So you're going to get kids that um, that never would have had an opportunity, but if they can get into a small school, prove it, and then move up. You're also seeing a lot of kids that maybe go D1 or a, a, an elite D1, and they kind of knock down a notch to where they can actually play. Um, so I, I think that it's going to actually make some of the mid tier teams stronger. Now, the ones at the top, I think all of college football is going to be in general stronger. Yes, the top few are going to get even stronger, but I mean, to that degree, um, maybe a, maybe a player or two per year, But I, I really think that this, that kind of that mid tier team, that's really pulling up. And if you're a, you're a South Florida, you know, um, someone like that, you can, you can come in and pull in a lot of, you know, you're a Florida Atlantic, something like that. You can come in and grab some other players that, you know, that were never ranked, but should have been. So I, I think it's gonna be more competitive throughout the ranks. the, the the quality will be higher. I mean, just just the quarterback, right? Your 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 team like quarterback by like Alabama every year they've got a, a quarterback or two leaving and going and starting somewhere else. A kid that would have normally rode the bench for four years and never got in a game goes and starts at Nevada, you know, or mm-hmm. some school like that.
0: Uh, well, I I hope so because I I think if we continue to see a lack of. Com- competition in college football, you're going to see schools start folding teams. I, I truly believe it. It's, I went to Memphis, the football team loses money every year, even when they're doing well, yeah. they, they just, they're, they're, you know, the yeah. the athletic department is really subsidized by the basketball team. Which um, is amazing. a lot. there are a lot yeah. of, uh, and also um, <clears throat> over the last 10 years, the average attendance at a college football game, not the SEC and all that stuff, but the average attendance at a D one football game, has dropped ten percent. But the, is it's that tra- because, it's trending lower?
1: Uh, okay, so my my question on that would be, well, the, the data you know are is is it because we've I mean, how many D one schools have we added in the last ten years? A ton. I have, um, you know. Yeah. There, the little school that the, the closest. Well,
0: that this was this was actually including the i i actually i got the data uh yeah. I, my office is in indianapolis ncaa's headquarters is right there when i get mad wow. i can go over and throw eggs at their door um but I, it was with the big conferences as well it was uh and, wow. yeah it was like like tennessee was not selling out anymore because the team was kind of lousy uh well not now uh, the last yeah. couple i know that last year they had a good year but uh, it was it was across the the power conferences as well. Is that, it, is that is
1: that X two
0: thousand twenty? Uh, yeah, I, I, that number wasn't included. It's actually I did two thousand nine through two thousand nineteen before wow. all that happened. Um, I haven't it's, run the numbers. For, I haven't grabbed the numbers from this year yet. Interesting. Well, so I, I, I,
1: that that if it's if it's that time period, that makes sense, especially if. Um, and especially and I and, and I've
0: seen the ebb and flow having gone to Memphis. Where when they're really awful, you got maybe eleven thousand people showing up for the last game of the year. Uh, you know, a few years ago, they 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 got that spot for the non-power conference teams to go play in the Cotton Bowl, and their final home game. You know, they had forty-five thousand people there. Um, so that you, there are uh, there is a, a very much of a fair weather fan type situation uh, for the you know when you get outside of the Power Five conferences and you know if you're if you're lousy on a continuous basis uh i i you know just a few years ago they they reversed the decision but a few years ago you know university of alabama birmingham said we're not doing football anymore and if you're running an athletic department and you're not being competitive and you're losing money on you know football is not funding everything else um you might yeah, yeah we're still have adding to
1: schools try. to d1 every year at a, at a feverish pace i mean like we um you know but yeah. like the, the, the the closest college to where i actually grew up in alabama was north alabama and huh. their process of of transitioning into d1 and mm-hmm. right here in texas a few hours away is tarleton state you yeah know, it's now tarleton is now d1 or in the process of transitioning to d1 it's uh the number of, and, and it's, and you hear the reason of it's the money. It's the money. Yeah. It's the money the but, bowls, yeah. things like that and conference and TV and stuff. But I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, if the, if the, if, you know, if the big Ten's getting a billion dollars and uh, you know, for their TV rights and the SEC's getting a big old check uh, that also leaves a lot less for, you know, the, the contracts to go to the second tier schools as well. So we'll see. I just, my, my feeling is whenever you have any sort of um, you have any sort of sport that you're trying to make money off of, if it's not competitive, if it's really just two or three schools every year that, that, you know, might win the national championship, whereas in basketball, um, you know, you've got a whole lot of teams that, that have a little bit of hope every, every March. And that's, that's how we got on the football thing was I feel like college basketball um, is a more entertaining. I hate the word "product" for college sports, but I guess that's what it is. I think the college basketball is more entertaining because um, there's a higher likelihood of upsets in college basketball than in college football. When we expand, when college football expands the um, expands the playoff, I, you know, if you've got to do a bracket for that, you're just going to take the top ranked team um, in order and probably end up picking the. It would probably be very hip easy to pick a college football playoff bracket to the final two teams, you know, cause they're, cause they're just so much better than, than the other, other teams. I severely doubt like the 12th seed team is ever going to make the uh, football championship.
1: Yeah yeah sure. it did it, it, it would be a fluke situation where someone had you know mm-hmm. three losses because they had a quarterback that was out or some key player that comes back and now they're you know they're they, they really should have been a it was a it was a mm-hmm. georgia who had some key problem key problems early in the year and so they've lost three games and they never should have lost those because yeah of some yeah. some fluke, you know and they're not a, not a real 12 seed um yeah the that, that, that that's a passion of mine. I love talking about that, that stuff.
0: We can, we can, we can talk about that. Oh uh, gosh. I <laughs> the, the conference realignment stuff. Oh, I, I could talk about that all day long.
1: Yeah. Well, Hey, um, you know, we'll, we'll get wrapping up here, but, uh, well, thank everybody for tuning in. Please remember to like us, comment, share this with your friends, uh, look us up. Uh, we're on social media. We're on, um, um, on, on LinkedIn or I'm on LinkedIn, Russell's on LinkedIn. Uh, also, the uh, Instagram is at uh, untamed underscore ethos, also on YouTube and wherever um, you're listening to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. A lot more to come with other guests. Um, Russell will be a very frequent guest with me talking markets, uh, but I look forward to you joining me in the future. Thanks for tuning. Oh, absolutely. So the hour just flew by. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Russell.